Welcome to Top Brew, the show that is best served fresh. This is episode 35. Our sponsor this episode is Thrasher Coffee. So shop at thrashercoffee.com for specialty coffees and use the coupon code TOPBREW to get 25% off. I am Joe Darnell, and joining me today is a special guest from the West Coast, Mr. Nick Jesh. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to have you, sir. Oh, I was, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you came all this way to be in the studio to talk on Top Brew. So am I. I think we're going to have a great time. Actually, you were in town for other events, and you're meeting up with Eric Rauch later today to talk about coffee gear at Thrasher's Coffee Roaster Facility. Mm-hmm. And besides that, back out west, you have a thing or two to do about coffee as well. So you're a supplier and a roaster. You're something of a dealer of the coffee equipment. Yes, to all three. Okay, okay. So what, what part do you like most? Do you prefer the roasting and the sourcing, or do you enjoy the gear as well as the, the, all, all parts together? Are you just a jack of all trades when it comes to coffee? Well, I've always been sort of an equipment and gear geek, mm. but in this particular industry, I'm finding the gear is basically an afterthought. Mm. If you don't start with good quality green coffee that's been properly uh, harvested and processed and held and transported and all of that stuff, and then, of course, properly roasted, no gear in the world is going to put a good cup in your hand. Exactly. So what's the point? It's, it's about the finished product. And so it has more to do with the coffee beans than the tools, huh? Exactly. Sort of like building a house. You got to lay a good, solid foundation, and then the house can come on later however you want. Yeah, and speaking of some of those aspects, though, that come on to the foundation, you had your own hand grinder that you brought in today, and that was an interesting piece of work. That was a hand grinder, not, not the electrical type, not the kind you plug in the wall like I do with my Bodum. What, what was your hand grinder? That looks really nice. That was a uh, made in France, Peugeot, the same company. Actually, they started life about 1885 making grinders. So that was before the internet. That was before bicycles and cars and the internet. And lawnmowers. Oh, that too. But there might have been fire trucks by then. Maybe. Horse-drawn carts with a steam pump on it, something mm -hmm. like that. One Eight. thing leading to the other, you had fire trucks with steam pumps on them, and then you got coffee grinders. Except the Peugeot brothers... Peugeot Frère, en français, began by designing and making coffee grinders. That, mm, was oh, the, okay. that was the start of the Peugeot enterprise. So the inspiration was coffee itself. Yes. Mm. Now, a really smart piece of equipment. Yours is not that old, though. That one was made, I believe, in about the 1960s. Okay. And, and why do you like it so much? I mean, you, you travel with it. I traveled with it this time because I was part of a team going to Haiti and we were advised, don't bring anything on that trip that you would cry over if it got lost or didn't come home. <laughs> That's kind of a spare. It's not my favorite grinder, but it's adequate. Okay. I adjusted the grind before I left, so it would be right. I was going to be brewing French press for the rest of the team and I was not sure we'd have power and certainly wouldn't be a plug-in burr grinder there. So that was in my carry-on luggage. And it served its purpose well. Oh, so, have, so you came prepared. We've actually talked about making coffee uh, while traveling before. And that is a trick for a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people are as dedicated as all that. And you didn't just come with your hand grinder. You also brought your own beans. And you've been sharing them abroad as, everywhere you go. And 
I have to say, I'm really impressed with what you brought in this morning that we are sipping on right now. This is one of your own, but brewed my way using the AeroPress, my own little custom recipe. Mm -hmm. And it drew out a lot of the flavors that seem not dry, but not especially moist. I wouldn't say it's juicy. It's nothing uh, acidic. It, it has like no acid to it at all. It's a, it's a clean cup of something that seems nutty. And like you and I were discussing reminiscent of cashews and very simple, sweet pastries in the ballpark of my favorite flavors, because I, I prefer all the nuts. I prefer something that seems honey glazed and it, uh, just the, the oats, the cereal flavors that come out of some kinds of coffee. And you noted that for the West coast, you know, you're based in Portland, that a lot of the people there prefer the lighter roasts. Mm-hmm. Down here in Georgia, I don't know that it's universal, but it seems in general, we prefer our solid medium and our solid dark roasts over anything approaching the light roast. What struck you about that, that difference? I mean, like you, you seem to master the light roasts. You prefer them. I do prefer them because as the roast darkens, it tends to drive out some of the subtleties of flavor. And the reason I like coffee so much is I like the flavor. The caffeine doesn't do anything to me. I don't care whether I have caffeine. I can go without it for weeks. I don't even know when I have it. And you pointed out too, that you didn't even like coffee for ages because you weren't crazy about the flavors you were getting from most coffee. Well, most of the flavors I was getting out of coffee was harsh, bitter, burnt. Right. Which is what you get from the grocery store stuff and from Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's, which everybody knew very well. Folgers coffee. Oh, I can't tell you enough how disappointing they were over the years for me and my family. You know, growing up with that coffee, I didn't want it. The only reason you got into it was because that's what everybody else was drinking. And since I couldn't stand the taste and the caffeine did nothing for me, why bother? I drank, <laughs> I drank tea, seriously. But seriously, tea, like hot teas, or did you stick with the cold brews? Hot tea. Okay. And I explored a uh, single origin, really high quality, China, India, the classics. Oh, and I can see why... One thing would lead to the other. If you got really interested in fussy hot tea beverages, which I have too, a little bit, not as extensively as you have, but if you if that is a good your starting point, then it makes a lot of sense why the the hot teas would lead into the coffees after a point. Were you interested in uh, the black teas, or was it for more of the other varietals where you got more a variety of flavors? I like black tea, green, red, white. So long as it's good. If it's quality, yes. Interesting. And that's how you approach your coffee as well. I brought that probably 40 years of experience in high quality loose leaf tea from all over the world. When I first had that cup of coffee that was drinkable, that was an epiphany. This is something I need to learn about. How many coffees are you making these days though? You're a supplier, and but you're also the roaster. I'm only trying one. How many do you make? I have probably 60 very good coffees in inventory right now. As, did you as say green. 60? Six zero, at least. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so how do you keep them all straight? I mean, do you take really good notes? I seem to have the kind of mind that can keep track of that kind of thing. But every once in a while, I happen across one of the bags in the storage area and it hits me. Wow. I've forgotten about this friend for a while. I'm going to have to roast it again to remind myself. <laughs> oh. Who is this in that bag? Okay. When people try your coffees, how do you get them to try that whole gamut? 
and to find the ones that really stick to people, you know, really, that really uh, sing to them. Well, in a sense, I use the people that I share my coffee with as guinea pigs, just like I did with you this morning. I brought you a very unique and unusual coffee. And I said nothing about its origin, what it was, how it was processed. No, I don't know what its origin. Right. And let's leave it there for a little bit. Here's the coffee. What do you think of it? Well, I like it. I like There it is. So this morning, you were the guinea pig that confirmed what I already know, but you confirmed this is an excellent coffee. Hmm. And it's well-roasted, well-prepared. You also pointed out the way you would brew it would give you very different results in the flavor profile. Yes. Now, what were you saying it would do? It would bring out more of the fruit, tropical fruits, uh, mango, papaya, perhaps guava, and melocoton. Amazing. All because those... that's a completely different area of all the flavors. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, why do you think that is? It has to do with what goes on when coffee meets water. Okay. Temperature of the water, fineness of the grind, brew time, all of those things will affect the flavor that ends up in the cup. It's really hard to control that, considering how, you know, you didn't tell me how to brew the coffee, how to grind the coffee, and what kind of water to grounds ratio to use. And then you have a completely different profile. And when you read a good bag of coffees, you know, recipe on the back, and they give you some general directions, but that may not get you the profile it describes about the product. So are there any tips that you would have for the brewers in trying to land the the brew method that will get the results that you, the roaster, were looking for? Or is that sort of a an area that we have yet to grow on? That's an area I think the industry is playing with now. But just hadn't found the solution. Well, there is no one solution. How do you like your eggs? Mm, right. I right. was asked that question at my, our mutual friend home, friend's home this morning. Nick, how do you like your eggs? Cooked. <laughs> he cooked them the way he likes them. I enjoyed them. Okay. I cook them differently when I'm at home, and I'll bet you're going to cook them differently than either of us. Which way is right? The one on the plate in front of me. But over time, I tend to learn what I like. I've played around with the brew methods that I use and all of the parameters that can be varied. I play around with them and see what the result is. Okay. So, so you use many brew methods depending on the roast that you have. So you find, I would like to use the coffee press with a medium coarse grind today and brew it for four minutes and et cetera. Before this particular bean, you recognize that this recipe gets you the best results and you're careful to craft those together? I try and do that. But sometimes what happens is I happen to land on a sweet spot after trying a few variables, and I like it so much I don't bother exploring further. Okay. I'm happy with this, and I just stay there. Okay. A different coffee, well, it's got different flavor characteristics. Say a monsoon Malabar, rich and smooth and sweet and nutty, almost nothing in the way of bright fruits or florals, heavy mouthfeel. So I would approach brewing that coffee quite differently than I would the one we had this morning. And speaking of the one that we're having this morning, right now, as the temperature is dropping in the cup, its flavor profile is moving towards the fruits. Yes. And it's getting more delicious. The, the flavors are more pronounced mm-hmm. than it was when I brewed it at 180. And I probably started sipping on it while it was still in the 170s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, this is quite delicious. Almost got a butteriness to it. Yes. Which is uncharacteristic of most fruit category flavors, but it's an interesting, rich combination. Mm -hmm. 
Now we're going to, in a minute, we're going to get to the coffee process from dirt to the cup. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you a couple of things concerning your own tastes. You don't add any additives, no Nothing. sugar, no cream. And Nothing. when was the last time you did? I was at an espresso shop with some friends and I didn't feel like I wanted all of the liquid content that would be with an Americano, which is kind of my go-to in a shop. It's pretty close to what French press does. And that was my first brew method. And I stick with that if I'm brewing for more than just myself, or sometimes I'll use the French press just for myself. And I was wondering, what am I going to have? And so I decided they had a bowl of fresh hand-whipped cream on the counter. So I thought, espresso shot, cream, con pana. I had it. It was outrageous. The, it was an Italian place. The coffee had been roasted towards the light end of things. It was smooth, fruity, bright, just a touch of malic acid to kind of wake it up. Body was heavy. And putting that, not sweetened, but sweet, naturally, whipping cream on top, that was amazing. So it developed a rich dessert-like coffee. Absolutely. And we just finished having an amazing Chinese dinner. It was a friend's birthday. We had a party with his family and some other friends. And it was the perfect foil for the meal we just had. Hmm. Okay. And then how often do you have coffee? Do you prefer your coffee in the morning, afternoon, and night? Or do you cut yourself off at some point? Well, since the caffeine doesn't do anything, I can drink a 20-ounce cup and go to bed and sleep all night. And you're, you're positive about that. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, I know my friends, some of them have a coffee with supper. Mm -hmm. And I usually shouldn't do that. I should probably cut it off before 5 p.m. Yeah. I don't think that the caffeine is affecting me, but then when it does, it does. And that, that's not consistent, but it happens. And I wonder sometimes if it has to do with how much water I've had as, at the same time during the day and how much I've been digesting things and if it's still lingering in my digestive system. But yeah, that's another topic. Yeah. Now you get your beans from where? You, do you use multiple suppliers? I use multiple suppliers. Most suppliers will kind of have a specialty where they really shine. I, early on in my exploration of this whole game, happened across a couple of importers that still today, 10 years later, are at the peak of the whole quality end of things. And one's based out of London. They do warehouse in Washington, in, uh, yes, in Washington State. They have an office there. And they consistently bring in high-quality coffees from all over the world. And I could go into more detail on how they work with their suppliers, but that might be an, uh, another thing for another time. Another importer, uh, one of the older, really high-quality ones, it's a family. Both of these are family operations, but they're large. They span the whole globe, and they focus on finding absolutely the highest quality and then working with the producers to raise that quality level even higher. Are their coffees dear? Yes. You stop and think about it, though. The difference in price of $1 per pound in the green for a shop is going to end up with a difference in cost of goods sold across the counter at about $0.05. Cents. So for a dollar a pound more, you can put out a coffee that's several categories higher that will cost you another nickel. Hmm. And I go nuts when I go into a shop and I see their stocks and I taste it and it's just run-of-the-mill coffee. Why not just buy C-grade out of the New York warehouses? Sure. I encountered that, uh, unfortunately, with a local roaster here in the past week. I really admire their their marketing, their branding, and their mission. They make serious donations to a good cause with every pound of their coffee roasts sold. Now, everything about their business model, I, I, I like. 
I would even enjoy to sit in their cafe and have a cup. But the one thing that is lacking is the actual roast quality. And I would have to say it has a lot to do with the roaster's handiwork, but also probably the beans themselves. So you're paying the premium price from a specialty coffee source, but you're not getting the results because I think that they were skimping a little bit there when it comes to where they're getting their beans. Absolutely. And it happens more often than you would realize. And it's probably one reason why a lot of people are not convinced that the craft coffee is everything that we make it out to be. I mean, you and I are convinced. And I think a lot of times it's just that people haven't had the right variety. Not necessarily the right variety. How is it grown? How are the trees handled? What soil amendments are put in? How is it harvested, processed, stored, handled, shipped? All of those things matter. Mm. Well, we'll get into that then Mm -hmm. in a second. Let's go ahead and thank our sponsor for this episode. It's Thrasher Coffee, and they're our continual sponsor. This show isn't possible without the generous support of Thrasher and our listeners. So here's what you can do for us. Visit Thrasher Coffee and try out one of their incredible small batch roasts. Thrasher's brilliant coffee specialist roasts whole beans to order and ship them to your home, business, or offices. What you'll receive in the mail is a box that will smell up the room with the fresh scent of coffee glory. And if you know anything about specialty coffee, the smell of those beans far outweighs the quality of anything you get from other bags of roasts. If you end up enjoying Thrasher Coffee as much as I do, don't hesitate to join a coffee subscription. You'll be sent as many pounds as you would like of their six varieties at the interval of your choosing every two or four weeks all for a competitive price on specialty coffee. And new coffee customers receive 25% off of their order when they use the coupon code TOPBREW at checkout. Thrasher Coffee roasts responsibly harvested small lot coffees, thus supplying premium, fresh, craft coffee that my friends and family know and enjoy every day. Thank you, Thrasher Coffee, for supporting Top Brew and keeping the mics on. All right, so getting into the process and everything that makes good coffee great. Just take it from the top. Take it from the top, Nick. Just dive in. Tell me, what what do you see as the beginning to end for excellent coffees? Let me take it, not from how I see it, but how a couple of coffee producers I know and deal with. And I buy direct from some producers. These two are, there's two of them, but I'm just going to talk about one. There's a company based out of uh, Central Oregon, And that company got started as part of a mission project to Uganda. Their mission was to provide fresh and safe drinking water for some of the more remote tribal areas. Dirty water is probably one of the highest causes of uh, infant and young child mortality in some of those areas. Without clean water, things just don't go well. We take it for granted we turn the faucet and clean water comes out. That's not so in places like Uganda. After working there for a while, they realized the financial need was so over their head that they could not do what they wanted to do with the donation basis they had. The guys doing that were into coffee, and they looked around. They were in a coffee-producing area of Uganda, and they identified a piece of property. I believe it's about 65 acres. They bought the property. It was not currently in coffee. They cleared enough. They sought out what stocks would grow well in that particular climate and soil every characteristic of the soil they researched, what coffee stocks will prosper and do well here. They then got high-quality stocks from a known nursery, so they didn't mess with the quality of the coffee stocks. They went top hole. 
and their goal was to produce a very high quality coffee that they could then ship into the U.S. market. So they planted, as the plants came into maturity and began bearing, they were shipping to the U.S. They warehouse out of Portland, Oregon, a family-run specialty coffee warehouse. I came into contact with them through the warehouse people. They know I like good coffee. They warehouse for a lot of small producers. Nick, do you know about these guys here? Not yet. I'm going to introduce you. Thank you. The first year of that I had, they took the entire harvest and it was all blended together. Very high quality stuff. I was very impressed. I bought a couple of bags and played with it. The next year, they determined to step up the notch of quality a couple of, a couple of marks. They decided to separate the harvest into two grades. They set parameters for every aspect of the harvest. Are they handpicking only the ripes? Well, when they bring the bin into the truck, there's a, a buyer there or a tally man. He looks at the quality of the coffee they brought in from the fields. If there are very few unripes, that picker gets paid a higher price per pound for his pick. That motivates them to get only the ripes. So that's one mark. How long does it sit in the bins on the truck before the truck goes down the hill to the mill? They set a limit of time. If you can imagine a bin of cherries sitting out in the sun in your backyard for six hours, well, maybe make cherry jam. Right. But you're not going to eat those hand, hand fruit. You wind up with a little bit of cherry raisin in the batches there. No, you end up with rot. Ah. The fruit begins to collapse. So quickly. Yeah. The difference between one and a half hours in the truck before it hits the mill and six hours in the truck before it hits the mill is a radical difference in the finished quality. So then it goes down to the mill. It's again assessed. Are they still fresh ripes only? Are they all pretty consistent size? Yes, it's still, it's still in the A category at that point. Then it goes into the wet mill. It's processed. Every stage has to be to the highest quality standards. So they trace each day's harvest and from each section of the land. And if every step along the way they can verify that those high standards are met, then it gets the possible gold grade. Only when it is finished, dried, rested, and then they do a test roast, and it cups above 85 points, will it get that old gold designation. So what does it mean to be rested? After the coffee is taken up off of, they use raised beds, African beds to dry, and it's turned every half hour so that the air comes up from the bottom through it to dry it. Once it's dried, it's put into a silo where it just sits lets it kind of settle. So if all of those steps are done to the proper standards, then they roast it and cup it, and it scores 85 or better, then they put the gold designation on the bag. Anything else gets the silver. Now, trust me, that silver is very good coffee, but the gold is outstanding. They also have trained all of their employees in how to manage the plants, how to prune, how to deal with pests, all of those things so that the, the plant itself can produce the highest quality coffee. So they are really every possible step they can take. The land they selected, the nursery stocks they bought to plant, every step along the way, they're going to the highest possible standards. They're teaching their workers how to do those things. And most of these are day laborers that have been in coffee in that area for years. They're teaching them their methods and they're paying them 20 to 30% above the going labor rate in the area as the carrot to make them do things right. And it's working. So the money they're getting from the sale of this coffee is so much, they have no end of funds to do their water projects. And with the leftover, they're using it to support a few, I don't know how many, 
safe houses for widows and orphans in the big cities. And in Uganda, that's a big deal. Schoolgirls can get kidnapped on the way to school. It happens. So there's safe houses where at-risk widows and orphans can live, and part of the proceeds from this coffee supports them. And so that kind of a model, every step along the way, every possible thing is, is done right to keep the quality of coffee high. Mm. Those are the kinds of producers I like to find. Absolutely. So then how do you get the coffee from them? And how do you know the ones you want? Well, one advantage to this particular outfit is they don't have very many. They've just started two new projects in Sumatra, and I've had coffees from all three of their origins now. But when I need more of that gold from Uganda, I send them an email. I want five bags, ten bags, whatever. They give a delivery order release to the warehouse. I go pick them up. Uh, they bill me. I send them the check in within 30 days, and that's how you do it. Now what do you do with your coffees for storage? I mean, imagine you're not trying to hold on to them for too long. Once you get them, you want to finish the process. Yes, although green coffee, if it's properly bagged, uh, and they use the Grain Pro bags, which probably the biggest improvement in green coffee handling since the burlap bag was invented. Hmm. It's a plastic liner bag that allows moisture to flow through but does not allow flavors, either foul odors or the essential flavors that are in the coffee to escape. Foul odors can't come in, and the ones you want can't get out. It also won't let molds, mildews, that kind of thing in. So I've actually had green coffee keep four or five years and still be fresh mm. and uh, very sweet and clean when it's in the grain pro bags. Okay, then at that point, how do you develop the profile that you want with those green beans? I'm still on the steep part of the learning curve in that category. You were telling me about recently, you had a kind of bean that others were not satisfied with. They were not crazy about the results and they offered it to you at a very good price to see what you could do with it. And you turned it into something that people really liked and sold well. Tell us that story. It's actually from these same people that produce the coffee in Uganda. It's one of the two projects they're starting in Sumatra, which is kind of fascinating. One of them the standard is already up. This is from the other place, and they knew the quality was going to be low, but they decided to buy in to their operation anyway and just see what they could do. The quality of the coffee was disappointing, and some had gotten shipped out and returned. And I found out about it, and they offered me a full bag, 60 kilos. Just pick it up at the warehouse. It's on us. You play with it, see if you can do something with it. And the first roast I did... It was nasty. I see what they're talking about. I just did a fairly standard roast profile. Mm. Oh, yes. What am I going to do with this? Well, I might have another 58 kilos of fire starter. <laughs> you laugh, but that's what I do with my coffees when they're too old or rotten to drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I got to thinking about the flavors I was getting, and it took me a few days pondering it and brewing a few more batches of it to play with it, and make sure I was seeing what I thought I was. And I learned a little bit about off flavors in coffee as a result of misroasting. I'd taken a class at a, a convention and trade show a few years ago, uh, cupping for roasters. No, it was defect cupping. And some of the defects traced back to this or that roast. So the time temperature curve is important for developing flavors. And I'm still learning about that. But I got to processing all of this in my mind, and I thought, you know, 
The main flavor I'm tasting is something called chlorogenic acid. It's very harsh and foul, and it's released when there's too much heat in the early part of the roast, after the beans start rising in temperature and before you get to first crack. In that stretch, if the temperature is too high applied to the beans, chlorogenic acid can be produced. And most people taste that, they roast it dark, and burn it out. Hmm. I would rather not release it in the first place and keep the other fruity floral qualities of it through the rest of the roast. So I thought, well, what happens if I lower the heat application during the run-up between turnaround and first crack? And so I made what I thought would be a pretty radical change in the heat application, turned the burner way down, and it was better, but still not drinkable. Okay, that was a step that seemed to turn it into the right direction. I'm going to take another step in the same direction. So I continued to do that. The steps got smaller as I thought I was approaching okay. I think it was the fifth roast I did on that particular bean. I went inside, had some. Wow, this has bright fruitiness. It's medium body, smooth, sweet, has a fair amount of floral in it, but there's lots of rich tropical fruit in there. And yet there's enough of the heavy stuff in the bottom to kind of balance it all. This is amazing. So I emailed them back right away and said, I'll take another 10 bags at your deeply discounted price. So I've got lots of that to play with. In fact, it was my selling that coffee as a special fundraiser that basically paid for my recent mission trip to Haiti. And I'm on my way back home from that right now. That's why I'm in Atlanta. Mm. So that coffee that was a problem coffee, not fit to drink, by playing with the roast curve and making it work, that's what sent me to Haiti and back. And I've got people all across the country that are buying that coffee. They like it. Is that what you enjoy most about your job is being able to identify a problem and solve it with trial and error and just honing the craftsmanship and learning something new? I, that's something I enjoy is delighting in the details about my work as a designer. You know, I, I'm still learning many skills. It never ends. And you've gone through many career changes over the course of your life. You were a mechanic, you explained to me before, and a photographer after that. And now you're in coffee. And I, I just think that that's, that's something enjoyable for all of us, no matter our field. And uh, how, any thoughts there? I think you're spot on. I realized as I started getting more seriously into, I'd started it when I was a kid, photography. Dad taught me how to take pictures, develop the film, and make contact prints when I was eight years old. And I've loved it ever since. I still love it. I took probably over a thousand images on this recent trip. Haven't seen them yet, but that's another story. That's for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not too much to do about coffee, though. It was involved. We had good coffee every morning when the electricity was on to heat the water. Sometimes it wasn't. We went to work anyway. So what would you say is the thing that you enjoy most about coffee? I like the challenge and the excitement of the exploration. Uh, my mind has always been a sponge for not facts, but how facts properly connect to give a desired result. And this whole process I explained with that roast, at first it was tedious, but when I tried the second roast with a change and it was in the right direction, I got excited. Over the rest of that week, I did the other several roasts and I played with it. And then I wrote a profile to feed back to another roaster I have that uh, is profile. It'll follow a profile. And I had to tweak that a couple of times to get it right where I wanted it. 
Now I just weigh it, pour it into that roaster, punch a letter and a number and go. Perfect every time. But it, it was a challenge to get to that point, And I love that. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. So Nick, where would you like people to find you if they're interested in trying your products, getting to know you better? Uh, you're based out in Portland. Maybe they can even meet up with you there. I know that Portland is a hub for coffee culture out there. It certainly is. Actually, I'm based out of Olympia, Washington, which is kind of the nowhere between Seattle and Portland. Okay. But I'll always head south. I got a lot of friends that uh, I know and love and stay with in the Portland area. And that's really where the coffee scene that I want to hang around with is. That's where some of the best roasters in the country are. And I enjoy hanging around with them and tasting what they've got going, talking with them, that sort of thing. I have a website that's in development. I have the URL, Tasabella, T-A-Z-A-B-E-L-L-A. Interestingly enough, it means beautiful cup in Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese. Amazing. There's Good not, name. And the URL was available. Tasa Bella. Or most, most will say Bella, and I'm fine with that. That would be Italian or Portuguese, but the Bella would be Spanish. And that's my preferred language. But Well, it was a pleasure to have you, Nick. We'll have to have you back maybe in a couple of months when new and exciting things are happening. You're always doing something new and different. It has been a pleasure to get to know you today and yesterday. So I can't wait to hear stories uh, shared, swapped between you and Eric. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting him for the first time in face, I think, this afternoon. Uh, I have a feeling I've met him before, but I can't quite figure out where. Well, thanks for joining us for this special interview episode of Top Brew. If you would like to find the show notes, they are at topbrew.fm slash podcast slash 35. If you would like to keep up to date with us, we're on Twitter. You can follow us at TopBrewFM. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash TopBrewFM. And if you are a barista, a coffee roaster, a connoisseur, or just an average Joe with a crazy passion for coffee that you would like to share, then please email us about getting on an interview in another episode of TopBrew. Send that to Joe at TopBrew.FM. What listeners want to hear are people that care about coffee and relish it as much as they do. And I want to give a special thanks again to our sponsor, Thrasher Coffee. To show your support for this podcast, enjoy Thrasher Coffee and let them know that we sent you. Use the coupon code TOPBREW, all one word, and get 25% off of your first order. You cannot beat that. I am Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Top Brew. <laughs>